Welcome to episode 21 of Signs, Cosines, and Tangents. Yeah. Do you not want to be here, Sean? It's the last episode. It's ever. No. What? Ever? I, I thought I'd spring that on you at the beginning of this episode. Ever? No, it's, a, it's the last episode today that we're going to do. It's the last episode before the next one. Well, that's definitely... we still got two left this season, quote-unquote. Well, so yeah, right. We got a regular episode, episode 22, and then we'll do the Greatest Hits clip show. I thought the next episode was going to be the clip show, and then we'll end with a year in review. So we're going to do 20... We have a bonus episode? I think, yeah. Did the network sign off on an extra episode because our ratings were so high? Yeah, our ratings are through the roof, through the doghouse roof. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. guess it. I should actually pay attention. Yeah, you should. You should. Well, you do all the technology stuff. I'm not good with technology. Yeah, you are. That's what you do for a living. <laughs> no, no, I just talk. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> Well, I, I listen to people tell me how they don't need my help and they know everything already. Welcome to life. Yeah. It's like my kids, except I get paid to listen to them. That's true. Kids are like that. I don't no, need you. And that's not actually anything like what I do, but I'm just trying to stick with the downbeat kind of persona I've adopted for this episode. You've... <laughs> oh, you know, Sean, enthusiastic... You know Bundle. what? I am always happy to record this show. It It's like a switch, guys. I, I don't know if you see this, but before, he's just like, yeah, I guess we'll record this episode. And then he's just like, I'm here. I'm Nobody science. believes you. Anybody who knows me knows I am always like excitable and upbeat and yeah, no. no. I, yeah, I think they're, they're they're figuring it out. Okay. Well, let's get into this. We have a few tangents, not as many. Um, yeah, we tried to limit it this week a little yeah, we're bit. Gonna, we're going to do a, a more compact episode. Dense. We, we always say that. It'll still end up being right around an hour and 15 minutes. Oh, we're taking bets. No, no, no. I have no money to bet. I'm poor. All right, let's move it along. Since <laughs> I've got this, this I haven't got my residual check from the network yet. Oh, it's coming. Oh, okay. Yeah, once we get syndicated. Speaking of things that aren't coming to fruition. Let's talk about Marvel Heroes. Have you ever played Marvel, Marvel Heroes? No, and it doesn't look like I will be. No, you won't. Uh, so Marvel Heroes is a Diablo-like online game. Uh, started on PCs, and then about four months ago, it launched on the major game consoles. And the whole idea is that you'd play as a Marvel superhero character uh, in a kind of Ultimate Alliance Online, and uh, you have to buy the characters, and you would, because it was microtransaction based. It was free to play with microtransactions. So and you have to you have to pick one character to stick with. Yeah. So for the first ten levels, you get to choose one character out of a small group. So like you could choose Captain America or Iron Man or the Hulk, and you get one character for free. And then there was one character that was in rotation. That you'd be able to play, but you didn't pay to unlock. Um, and the game followed pretty much the grind-to-play kind of mentality, where the more you played, the more you earned in-game currency, and you could use the in-game currency to buy and unlock other things. So not only did you buy characters, 
with their superpowers, you would also buy skins. So there would be cosmetic variances. Um, anyway, it's all irrelevant. Because Gazillion Entertainment and Marvel Studios announced that Marvel Heroes is shutting down at the end of the year. That was fast. Apparently didn't make enough money from Mama Disney. Gazillion. Haven't they done other free-to-play games? Yeah, they have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and, and I'm going to say, I actually, I rarely buy into these types of games, but I had fun playing it, and I uh, bought their Founders Pack for the PS4 and paid like $50, like it was a retail game. And guess what? That was only four months ago. Rip. Yeah. So the the moral of the story, ladies, gentlemen, and children, is virtual currency and virtual games probably aren't worth real money. And we're not even going to bring up Battlefront 2 again. We're not. We're totally not going to bring not, that up again. Not at all. We're going to move on to our next tangent. So, I haven't seen this, but Sean, you went and saw Justice League. First show, opening night. And the review is in from Sean. I saw Justice League. And it was... Adequate. Okay. It was... There were, there were, there were some scenes I loved. There were many scenes. I don't know how they got there. And there were other scenes that didn't make any sense to me at all. And I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a pretty big comic book fan. And I I think I've mentioned, I've read every DC comic that's been released in the last two years. Every issue of every series. I'm okay with them taking liberties, but I just ask for a cohesive story. And there have been a lot of indications that we weren't going to get that. And guess what? What? We didn't get a cohesive story here. Oh. But bad guys. No, the bad guy is absolutely the worst part of this movie. He's completely... The, uh, can we spoil? You know what? I think we're going to have to go into spoilers to talk about this more. We will mark it in the, in the show notes. So here. We're going to spoil something. So, the most threatening bad guy in the movie is Superman. What? That's all I'm going to say. I knew he, like, no, everybody knew he was going to come back. 70 Rock Power Band Steppenwolf is not really a threat. Really? Not really. He kind of disappears for most of the movie. It just, they're like, well, this whole bad thing's happening and, and we got to go do these things. And then Steppenwolf shows up and they run away. Hmm. And then they figure out that he's doing something bad. And, and, and there was one scene that is completely laughable when they resurrect Superman using the mother box. The mother box gets blown out of the building and lands on a car. And then they have their big showdown with crazy Superman where he proceeds to beat everybody up until somebody yells Martha. No, wrong, wrong movie. Oh God. Um, I was hoping that wasn't real. No, no, I was, it, that's not what happens, but I was so counting on them to do that. I wish they had, I really do. 
Um, but the mother box, they just forget about it. And then the bad guy, this is the last mother box. He has to get three and put them together. They're the MacGuffins of the movie. Uh, they just, one of the parademons flies down, picks it up and boom, they boom tube away because the justice league is too busy fighting Superman. And they completely forgot about the mother box. Just like, I think they meant the audience too. So the bad thing that happens with Steppenwolf and it's supposed to destroy the earth slash rebuild the earth to make it apocalyptic. And I think that's a word is all because the justice league are too stupid to pay attention to the MacGuffins they're supposed to be protecting. Well, and from what I've read, they've had to they kind of rush to get the team together, right? I mean, they didn't really give. They um, have not earned this film. They have they haven't given Cyborg time. Cyborg gets no time the in the Flash, film. and even Aquaman kind of gets a a rushed entry, right? So Aquaman, they get away with that because I think Jason Momoa pulls off the character. He's he's just kind of like dude bro biker, and he's cool, right? He, they because, make Aquaman cool. Well, yeah, they're like, okay, we got to take Aquaman. We've got to adapt it for the big screen. Actually, on that front, uh, the coolest version of Aquaman I've ever seen was actually in the Injustice video games. Yes. He was actually pretty cool. Um, so I think they've taken that to the next step of like, oh, we're just going to make him a badass. Well, and they and do. That talks, he talks to fish, but he's no, a badass. No, there's a whole scene where they talk about that, actually, <laughs> with him and Batman. But no, there's, and, and of course, again, being uber geek that I am, I'm sitting there next to my wife and there's the scene where they're, cause the Atlanteans, the Amazons and the humans all have a box and they're all tasked with protecting it. And, um, so Arthur Curry, Aquaman has to swim to Atlantis and visit for the very first time in his life. He's never been there, but he knows how to get there. They kind of intimate that they know who he is, but he doesn't live there. He's not the king of Atlantis in this movie. And he's talking to his future wife, Mira, who's introduced in the film for five minutes without ever saying her name. So you don't, if you don't know who she is, you won't know who she is. Um, but she looks over and she says, well, you're the future king of Atlantis. It's your responsibility to go do this. And I'm like, what about Orm? Orm's actually probably the king of Atlantis right now because they tell you that his mother, the queen, is dead. And his father wasn't a factor. Um, so Arthur showing up, he wouldn't immediately have to go fix this problem. The Atlanteans futzed up when Steppenwolf came in and rocked away the box. That was really With, bad. It, it, that I, mean, was I, I can't get over his name. <laughs> I've never been able to. And I actually had the superpowers collection Steppenwolf action figure when I was a kid. <laughs> He's just this guy with his weird haircut and a giant, power axe and he so, was in the movie too except so, he looked like a billy goat in addition to the rushed moments and the the infighting because you can't have a superhero film without the heroes fighting these days um well i will say there were some changes to some characters that i thought weren't bad um i think that they could have done a lot more with cyborg yeah on cyborg you tweeted this you said by the end of the film he the film, he's no longer looking like Bayborg. Yeah, he doesn't look like a Bayformer. Is it? Does he go more for a traditional classic look? Or yes, really. Yeah, and there's it's like a two second throwaway scene after in the aftermath. Because spoiler, nobody dies in this. What? Yeah. You know. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, 
And it doesn't really set up where they're going very well either. Well, that's that's what DC the movie doesn't. The well, post movie scene, the credit scene does. The movie doesn't really have a satisfactory ending. It see, just ends. And I for I don't want to make this a Marvel versus DC thing because Sean and I both love comics, and I, honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, I love a lot of DC characters. I love the comics. I read more DC comics than I actually read Marvel comics these days. But I like the Marvel Cinematic Universe more than what I've liked with the DECU because there's something that they've done. They pay tribute to the characters. And the biggest yeah. thing that I hated about Superman of Steel and what I read about BVS was I didn't understand the characters. So, so I've heard in this one, they've, they've kind of... They've fixed some of that. Fixed some of that. But in terms of having a roadmap of where these movies are going, it's not clear. Well, any film that has to effectively tell three origin stories in less than two hours and keep a cohesive flow is going to falter. And guess what? It does. It just, again, it sounds like I'm bashing it because it's easy to to get frustrated with these little things. Well, Quick question. What's the best movie out of Man of Steel, Suicide Squad, Batman Wonder vs. Woman. Superman, and Wonder-, Wonder Woman? Take out Wonder Woman. Take out Wonder Woman? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I can answer that. <laughs> yeah, no, so, it would be Justice League. Yeah. So, I mean. Because Suicide Squad, no. Right. And and Batman vs. Superman, War of the Marthas, no. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's what I call it now. That, I, I'm calling it everywhere. <laughs> um, so, long story short, do you recommend anybody watch this? If you absolutely have to get your fill of superhero movies right now, Justice League is not a bad two hours. So, if they had their choice between Thor Ragnarok that just came out a few weeks ago. Oh, no question. Just- go see Thor again. Or, hell, go see Guardians of the Galaxy again. Yeah. Or go see Spider-Man again. We had so many good superhero movies this year. To see Justice League turn out the way it did, is it, it redeems DC be only because the bar is so low. Yeah. And and I have good friends that I've had since childhood, and, and they came out of it going, this is the movie they waited 40 years for. And I'm going, really? Well, um, it's funny because there's been a lot of... Um, so we... We posted about the um, the box collector set of DC. All so the that is movies. spend your money on that. And yeah. Justice League, the TV series, was really one of the best adaptations. Oh, yeah. Been a lot of people going back and doing like the best ofs, or you know, a lot of the epi- episodes. And um, I've rewatched a few recently, and it's it's just like just do that. On the big well, screen. And if you think about it, those were 30-minute episodes. And they broke it into two or three episodes Yeah, most story. were two-parters for Justice League. Um, and they managed to tell cohesive stories. There's character development. All the things you can't really do in a movie. Unless you've done the building that Marvel did. Which it took Marvel six years to get to Avengers. They had, like, what, eight movies before they got to Avengers? No. They were through... Four. It was only four? Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Hulk, uh, Thor. Captain America. And Captain America. Five. So five movies. Yeah. But that 
isn't like they were releasing two movies a year. Right. So it took them six years to get there. And they built all of that up. DC wanted to go straight from, hey, here's a mediocre Superman movie, to I want Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman to be hanging out with the Justice League in two movies. Yeah, and what... And again, I don't want to make this... This is strictly what Marvel did in their cinematic. I don't want to make it Marvel versus DC because I want to see what Marvel did. Well, and Marvel is at the risk of kind of collapsing under its own weight at this point. But but what they did is they built it up slowly so that the Avengers was a big deal. But if you go back and look at all the films, Avengers is eh, good. It's not the best. But it's allowed for moments where civil war happens. It's allowed for Hulk showing up in a Thor film and you're just like, Oh yeah, they know each other. He's from work. <laughs> he is a friend from work. <laughs> you know, they don't have to go through, even if you, and even watch... the, even the Thor and banner banter works because right. they have set that up. There's two Avengers films, but even if you haven't seen those, you can go in and be like, I know who the Hulk is. Yeah. I don't, I didn't watch age of Ultron. You don't have, there's stuff there for fans, but you don't have to go in knowing all the backstory. No. So, so I, I mean, I guess this is going on longer than I wanted it I, to. I would love to see a good Batman film that's not oh, Nolan. Okay, so this is the one thing I will say. Yeah. Ben Affleck doesn't want this job. Let him go. Well, that's weird because everybody said that Batman was one of the best parts. No. Talk to, no. God, no. You no, don't no, agree? no, no. I disagree. Hmm. I think that they started to tell a story about Batman being weary. And ready to retire, basically. And in the beginning of the film, you kind of have that. But by the middle of the film, and and here's another thing. The tone is so all over the place. Batman barely is able to beat one parademon in the opening scene of the film. By midway through the film, he's like knocking them out of the sky four and five at a time. That's that's Batman-ish, right? But he's tired. Somebody's never fought... He analyzes their weaknesses, and, but yeah. probably on film, it just looked like he didn't punch enough before, but later he punched enough. And then he used his grapple on one of them. Yeah. You know, the other thing that really, and really probably why I'm soured on this film, it undoes a lot of the um, corrections that Wonder Woman did around Diana in the fact that in this film, it felt to me. Like, they needed Batman, because Batman's the only hero that matters in the DC Universe, according to Warner Brothers, to teach Wonder Woman how to be a leader. What? Yeah, you'll see when you see it. Didn't she pretty much do that in the film titled um, Wonder Woman? Well, and there's even a low-blow scene with him talking about Steve Trevor and basically... Uh, verbally abusing her at one point. And, and the best part of it is that Ezra Miller's Barry Allen is sitting back back there after they had this little confrontation in front of the team. And he looks over and goes, you know, it, if she takes you out, we'll back her. Because <laughs> we like her. We yeah. don't like you. And so yeah. they, they keep that aspect. I mean, the whole point of, at least the best part about what the Justice League cartoon did was Batman was... Batman's not a good leader in terms of he's he he's a work alone guy. And yeah. when he does have like the Robins in the DC 
the current comics or the, the, yeah, fam- he controls the family. Them. He's very controlling. Um, and in Justice League, he was there. If he didn't agree with the group plan, he would still go and do something else. Um, I rewatched uh, yeah. Doom recently, and um, but there's a, I mean, he he's Batman, and and the for, to see him lead, he he's not a born leader. So well, I, and the other thing, and you've probably heard this too, they do kind of fix Superman by bringing him back. He's now Superman again. Well. That's what everybody said, and again, if we have to spoil some, we've already warned you, but what does that mean? He's He smiles, he kind of makes some jokes, he's he smiles. inspiring. Is, how's um, he inspiring? Well, so he and Barry have this thing that happens a few times in the film, um, and mostly at the end, because Batman is, is the focus for most of it, and then Superman shows up at the end of the film. Um, and he's kind of a super MacGuffin too. Super MacGuffin. Yeah. Um, but he and Barry make. You know, there's this one scene where they have to go save these people in this Slavic country, like Chernobyl type thing. Sokovia. Yes, it's, it's their version of Sokovia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and there's this family that you keep seeing through various scenes as this plot unfolds, and they never explain why you're looking at this Ukrainian family or whatever. And then when the climax of the film, there's this rapid growth and death thing that's happening because of the mother boxes. And Barry has to go and save this family, and then they're in a truck. And it's the family that they've been seeding the film with, with no relevance other than they're just people who live where this bad thing happens. And as you see Barry race to save them and push their truck because it's out of gas, away from the damage, he looks to his right, and there's Superman flying with a building full of people (laughs) that's that's good so that was one of those moments where i'm like okay they get it that is perfect that's really good yeah and the first post uh, movie scene is kind of a play on the fastest man alive race yeah where which if you guys don't know it's basically superman and flash say we're gonna do it who's fastest and they go in a race and and, and they do a good job in the film with the flash of showing just how fast he is. Because when, you know, crazy Superman shows up and starts throwing punches at people, he doesn't hit Barry. Barry keeps moving. Because if he did hit Barry, Barry's dead. Right? And so there's a whole bunch of that. Though there's moments where you can see just how fast Superman is. This is the first time Superman actually seems super powerful. Because, you know, Barry's moving and basically everybody's in fairly frozen time. And he's zipping around and he's coming behind to try and um, stop Superman, who's holding Cyborg and Batman in his hands, like by the throats. And, you know, Barry's moving so fast you figure nobody could react. Superman turns his head and looks at him. And so, again, I think they really powered Superman up in this. The one person they powered down was Wonder Woman. Hmm. Because she's not holding her own against him in the fight. Now, I you get the sense that she's not going all out to hurt him. Right. But there's too much of him kind of throwing everybody else around. Hmm. And I just felt like if there's anybody who could beat a crazy Superman in a physical fight, it's Diana. Exactly. So, to wrap this up, do you see Justice League as a, a reboot 
for a soft reboot of of the characters? Do you think you know they've they've fixed Superman? They've got Flash in there. They've got some new blood. Wonder Woman. It's a mixed bag. And then you've got Batman with the Baf- Batfleck. Who, Batfleck, uh, who I think needs to retire, just like the character intimates. Yeah. But so. Alfred's still around, and it doesn't look like he's going to retire. But let's let's have Ben Affleck retire. Yeah, I would just there's 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 so many good stories you could tell with Batman. He's a very popular character. He could easily, I mean, you could make a movie that would sell alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much more to tell. I mean, we have the Nolan universe, which was great. I mean, it wasn't, but it wasn't, it wasn't completely true to form of Batman. It was, no. a, it was a, it was a take on Batman, and it was a good take. But I, I guess I'm a bit of a elitist in this i don't believe you can really portray these characters well in live action i think that dc has always had superior animation and their animated movies are always the best way to consume these stories yeah um you're not limited by budget right and these are bigger than life characters that do bigger than life things whereas the avengers sure they save the world but Marvel's power levels compared to DC's power levels, Marvel characters tend to be more street level, right? Well, they're not Superman, right? There's not many characters. The closest that have it is Thor, Thor, or uh, what's we're the, the Hulk? No. I mean, from a strength perspective, the other guy, Sentry, uh, Sentry, who was basically a, their hey, here's this guy who's been around forever that you've never heard of, yeah, yeah, which was basically their Superman. He was their Superman, and he went crazy, yeah. So. All right, so that's our mini review. Not so many review of Justice League. That. If the time goes long, it's because of you, Sean. Let's move on. We have a, a, a few a few switch things here. First <laughs> off, um, now is our section sponsored by Nintendo this, and Bethesda. Yeah, <laughs> um, a little a little game came out. This is this is sort of like a sleeper hit. Not to mention it. Um, Skyrim. Have you you familiar with this, Sean? Came out for the Switch. Why is it? Yeah. So? Did you get this? Are you aware of this? I have it in my hand right now. What? Why are you... Sean, we've got a podcast to do. Yeah, well, but it's Skyrim. Sean. What? What are, what are you doing? I'm... I'm Nothing. What? Sean, put the switch down, man. <laughs> Sean? Yeah? What? Do you, do you know how to operate the switch for this bit? Apparently, um, my <laughs> micro SD card stopped working in my Switch. <laughs> so, this bit went poorly, but um, Skyrim came out last week. Um, I've already started playing it. I've already realized what a what a mistake that was. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It looks great. Um, some of the some of the reviews for the the game have said, "Oh, it's not." It's not up to the remastered collection that came out last year. But if any of you played Skyrim when it was originally released in 2011, surprisingly, six years ago, um, it looks great. It looks better than the original release. It's kind of a mix between the original release and the remastered. Um, On the portable screen, it looks fantastic. Um, Even on the TV, it's very crisp. Um, Unlike Doom, which also came out for the Switch, um, it's a little more muddied on the TV. Skyrim's very beautiful looking. You're still doing this. You're st- this is a podcast, Sean. We have listeners. We do? Yeah. What? Sean. Hold on. What? 
What are you doing? We're talking about the Switch. It's you, your favorite you thing. I just figured you'd ramble for another 15 minutes. But you don't have to actually play it. I'm trying to. It doesn't want to work with me. <laughs> Damn you, Nintendo, and your consoles. Uh, oh, here we go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Doom also came out for the Switch. Um, and if you've never played Doom, the 2016 game, this is an excellent game for pick up and play. Um, fast combat. It's one of my favorite FPSs that have come out in the last decade. That's not working. And Sean's still trying to go for this. I just don't um, get tech. And, you know, it shows Nintendo's commitment to having some super violent games on the Switch. Well, I I don't know. I, I think it's more about trying to establish some good third-party relationships, and Bethesda is happy to have their games on every platform. Yeah, I mean, but Doom's a recent release, so, I mean... Uh, it's a year and a half old. Yeah. I mean, it's but, not I mean, six. Skyrim's going to be, like I said, you know, Sean's going to get it on his car GPS soon. He's going to have it on a TI-83 calculator. <laughs> He's yeah. going to have it on his Apple Watch or his Android Watch or whatever watch he gets in the future. However it, and it's Skyrim. not just a Skyrim thing. And I think I told you this. I, I, I went back and saw that I was just as insane about Oblivion. As I Elder Scrolls, any Elder Scrolls for me. I mean, I spent hours playing Daggerfall, not hours. I would say weeks. Should I turn that down? Yes, please. There, <laughs> I turned it off. Um, I spent a long time playing all of these games, and these are worlds that I like to inhabit. Fallout is very similar. Um, yeah, but Doom, you know, and you. This is another game where they are like. It's not going to look like it looks like an Xbox One. Doom is a compromise, um, mostly due to the frame rate. They weren't able to get 60 FPS on it, um, and, and that does make a difference in Doom. But I will say, when you play it portably, you don't notice. That. You're playing Doom in your hands. <laughs> um, and it's a, it's a good pick-up-and-play game. It works perfect for that sort of pick-up, shoot some demons, turn it off. Um, you don't have to get fully invested. I mean, it... It's it's a great arcade game. Um, well, and speaking of pick up and play games, I mean, there's another digital release that came out this week that you said you've been playing a lot of Rocket League. So, oh my gosh! And this it's is... cross platform too, isn't it? Yeah, it's cross platform with PC and Xbox. PlayStation actually said they didn't want to play along with other consoles for some yeah. reason, which is really weird when you think about it. Um, on on PlayStation, you can actually play with PC players, but nobody, no other console. Um, yeah, so you get matched up with people on PC or Xbox. Um, it's it's Rocket League. I mean, they kept the 60 frames a second. So, I mean, that's a big part of that game. The resolution's a little uh, dipped down for the mobile mode. Mm-hmm. But it, big round ball, you are car. So does it do ball. the auto-scaling? It does. Okay. Yep. So it's if you're adaptive. on a screen, it's nice and clean. and It's not, again, it's not as nice as PS4. They kept the frame rate. They optimized for frame rate over resolution. So it's adaptive. But um, Nintendo games tend to be very colorful and soft. Right. In their design. Whereas your your AAA. Are very crisp, hard edges. Yeah. Very textured. Yeah. Um, this is fantastic. If you've never played Rocket League um, and you've never heard of it. It's basically soccer. Car soccer. With cars. Which started... That have jetpacks. Yeah, there was a previous game that was... um, Well, no, it started as a mod for Unreal. Was it an Unreal mod? It was an Unreal mod. 
So the game's been out for three or four years now. Um, there's a lot of DLC for the game. For the Switch version, you have a Mario car. Mario um, Kart? Mario Kart, yeah. <laughs> and there's actually a, a car that looks like uh, Samus's gunship. Oh, which cool. I really wanted, but it's not unlocked from the beginning, and I uh, had to lo- I had to grind it till I got it. Um, it it's fantastic release. Um, it, this is a perfect game for a Nintendo console. Um, yeah, and that would be again. That's it's not violent, really. I mean, there's explosions, but right. it's more like soccer hooligan and explosions, and. And it's it's a fun sports game that you can play with multiple players, and that's a game I could see four or five people playing together on handheld. We actually did that um, on Friday. Me and a couple of friends had a Rocket League party um, where we would trade off on the big screen. The the other three of us would play on our handheld mode. It, cool. It's fantastic. It's really fun. Um, yeah. So I say that's a must buy for the Switch. So if you're if you're somebody trying to figure out whether the Switch is worth picking up, and I'm going down a dark path here, <laughs> all three of these products are worth the investment. If you're even if you're somebody who owns, I would say Doom. If you own uh, Doom's the only one I'm a little shaky on. Skyrim is a solid buy. If you love Skyrim and you're willing to invest more time in it, it's a solid buy for the Switch. Doom, that's pretty much a game if you've played through once. There, there is some replayability in that game, but um, and the multiplayer modes. You know, if you're not, if you're a TV only kind of person and you're not going to play portably, get it for the other consoles. Um, if you are like the demographics we explained last episode, where you're playing mostly portable, it's a solid buy. Um, and I would even say to add to your Skyrim comment, this is the first version of Skyrim I've had where I may actually just follow the storyline. That's odd for you because, because you can't mod it. I'm not going to be able to mod it. So right. I won't get distracted spending hours trying to find mods and download mods. And yeah, a lot of we did an episode of mods or we yeah. sort of talked about it, but the vanilla game of Skyrim is it's really good. I mean, the mods are just additive. So, and I've never actually gotten through any of the expansion content. Now, neither. I've never played played any of the DLC, and I've heard it's really, really good. So I'm looking and, forward and to I it. And I won't build a house or get married or adopt children. Why not? Because again, we're back to the characteristics of a game that is but the anti Sean. <laughs> yeah, you can fish. There is a fishing mod, by the way, for the PC. Oh, that's the first reason I've ever had to mod a game. <laughs> um. So yeah, those three games that we mentioned released within a week of each other. Um, yeah, that's kind of rounding out the year for the Switch, with the exception of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Which comes out on my birthday. Which comes out on Sean's birthday. Yep. Um, and we don't know what's coming in the future for next year. We have a couple hints with some, you know, Yoshi Well, we know Kirby, that there's a Metroid coming and But we don't things. know when, and we yep. don't know what it is. So, um, Nintendo's usually had big releases in March. Last year's when they did the big, here's all the games we're going to have this year. Yep. Um, there's been a lot of hopes and dreams of what the switch is going to have. I, I want to share a couple personal ones if I haven't already. Um, Axiom verge, which you won't stop talking about. I, well, I just got that today. I've, I've stopped talking about that. Well, yeah, like two episodes. Yeah, no <laughs> things that are coming up. We don't know what retro is working on. If they port both donkey Kong country returns games with a third game, I'm calling the, the, the magical donkey Kong triple pack. 
Hmm. So it's going to have the that Tropical Freeze in the third one that they haven't released yet all in one bundle. It's going to be amazing. Okay. Uh, this is wish list, Jared. Yeah. Um, the second thing is it's rumored that they're working on Dark Souls for the Switch. All three. I'm... Uh, I mean, visually, that would work. Yeah. Right? Dark Souls games are pretty, but not, like, amazing. Right. Um, they're... they're um, What's the word? Adequate? Oh yeah. no. Um I don't know. That again they're modest. This, yeah, they're they're they don't take a lot of horsepower. Right. It's about strategy. So you're not about that? I think that's gonna be I mean Dark Souls is on No, a, I, I think that's a really smart move if yeah. if they do that. Yeah. Um I think but, we're gonna see LA Noir is coming out soon. Well my which, worry here, and we're seeing it already, is a lot of the best games on the Switch are, are games, re-releases. They're they're re releases of something else. Which isn't a bad thing, but we've had a lot of original content this year driven by True. Nintendo, right? Yeah. And I think we'll see that next oh, year. Le- um, Zelda and a Mario game in the first year. So it's it's a matter of what third-party content are we going to see that's original next year that it's hmm. coming out either the same time as other consoles or, you know, Capcom is still sign of, sort of dipping their foot. Capcom into makes video games other than Resident Evil? They do. Yeah. Huh. So, anyhow... We'll do that. That was my wish list. This, but um, Sean, yeah, uh, another Marvel series this year. Well, the um, Netflix, yeah, Netflix, there's two a year. No, there's been three. Well, Iron Defenders Fist. is a mini series, yeah. So, if you count it, that doesn't really count. Um, Punisher, yeah, who wasn't originally slated to have his own um series until Daredevil season two. Um, what do you think? Because I haven't gotten to watch it yet. Um, have you watched it all? I've seen about halfway through. Okay. Uh, and actually, there's another Marvel series that premiered this week on streaming, which is Runaways. On Hulu, right? On Hulu. Um, but we'll talk about that later, because I haven't seen that yet. But The Punisher, love love where it's going so far. Um, my big concern with The Punisher is if you're somebody who is expecting kind of rapid action, bombastic a super, you know, traditional Punisher story. This isn't that. It's much more personal because we we got a lot of his backstory and kind of his main, you know, plot in Daredevil. Much the first half of Daredevil season two. Exactly. And this kind of picks up about a year later and there's some carryover characters. So Karen's in it and they play on that relationship that they developed in Daredevil. Uh, she originally wasn't supposed to be in the series. They're like, yeah, I think this fits. Let's put her in here. Um, and this kind of wraps up the storyline about Afghanistan and the dark things that happened and why they ended up killing his family. And so there's there's some interesting things there. Um, there's still a military conspiracy going on. Uh, they The thing I've really enjoyed in the first few episodes, it's a kind of a slow boil, right? You you meet this character again at a point where he's basically said I'm destroyed but I got my vengeance and now he's trying to figure out what life is where he sits in the world now and he's really not living life he's just kind of and the first episode he kills off the last of the people he feels were involved of course that leads to the revelation that those weren't the last tip of the iceberg situation. Yeah. There, there was a bigger thing going on than he knew and it runs him into some other people from his past. And, and it's, 
so it's probably the least superhero of all the shows. Right. And I've heard it's pretty disconnected from anything. It doesn't even try to connect itself to even the Marvels, uh, the, the Netflix series. No, there, other than uh, Karen Page, there really isn't a connection. Right. And um, one thing I was reading about this that I wanted to point out is, you know, in the MCU, we've had Aliens <laughs> Invade Earth. We've had the Sokovia incident. Even in the Marvel Netflix series, we've had mm-hmm. ninjas almost destroy New York. Mm-hmm. Um, Harlem but, Im- imploded, basically. Yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, the Afghanistan war has still been going on this entire time. Yeah. So apparently in Iron Man, Tony Stark did not end the Afghan crisis. Really? You With his armor. That one tank he shot down and uh, rescued that group of like 20 people didn't didn't take care of it? I guess not. Huh. Weird. But you'd think that'd be the one place Iron Man would have gone back to after the stain thing happened and yeah. and gone, okay, we're done here. No. No, apparently superheroes kind of play it close to the vest. That's depressing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like Thor showed up and said, stop killing each other. You know, he was a little too busy in Asgard Plus, anyways. The weird thing about that is, is I've always believed personally, and this is not a Marvel thing, but if we ever discover extraterrestrial life in in our lifetimes. Okay. If this happens, it's an if scenario. Um, one of two things is going to happen. We're either going to come together as a world and say, it's going to be the Star Trek universe where we, we come together. Um, we decide that, you know, there are bigger things out there mm-hmm. or, will radically militarize every nation in the world and become complete isolationist. Um, I, I don't think those are mutually exclusive. Really? I think that you will get both. Interesting. That was please me. turn off your notification, Sean. This is a professional production. So you say. <laughs> so you think those are not mutually exclusive? No, I, I honestly, if you look at what happened with 9-11... Right, and you looked at America come together for about three months. Yeah. After that, it became political infighting, and all of the stuff started happening again. I don't think humanity can ever really be one society. Hmm. I don't think we can ever always be going towards one goal. I might just be a little cynical. Yeah, and this is a tangent off of the Punisher. This has nothing to do with the Punisher. Well, but, but the Punisher speaks to that to some okay. extent. Hey, I mean, you're rolling it in. I like it. Yeah, if you look at. You know, Frank Castle as a man has suffered great loss and he's devastated. And in in some ways, vengeance is the thing that keeps him going. And they do a really good job in this show of kind of doing that. But again, it and I said again like five times now, mm-hmm. it continues to build and it's slow. All of the Netflix series have been kind of uneven pacing-wise. They're kind of slow at the beginning. Well, that's what the first season of Daredevil did, right? Yeah. It built it up. It was like a video game. Boss fight, boss fight, boss fight, big boss. You know, it was the, the gradual big build. It's not like that. This is an emotional build. This is story and background and character. And John Barenthal, I think, does an amazing job char- portraying this character. And that's why he got his own series. There was never a plan initially to have the Punisher spin off he was supposed to be completed in that season before the ninjas attack New York. Right. Um, like they do. Like they do. Uh, so if, you, if you're if you a fan of the Marvel Netflix universe, Punisher's a little bit different. Uh, it is still ultra, ultra violent. 
So definitely not child-friendly. It's the Punisher. I mean, if you're showing that to your kids, then you probably don't care about violence. I think if you're showing any of those Marvel Netflix series to children, you're not. Yeah, they're not they're not happy comic booky kind of shows. No. Um and that's fine because we we need those types of stories in our lives too. Um, well, and that's that's taking the core concept of the superhero and kind of maybe, you know, where you get more gritty, you get that realistic take. And they are much more realistic and connected to reality than right. Tony Stark or even Spider-Man. Right. Right. So it, I I like what I've seen so far. I haven't gotten all the way through it. So but. so far Check it out. Yeah, I'll, I'll check it out soon, and we might come back on this and see where we agree or disagree. Okay. Um, New game expansion came out. This is, uh, what, Thor Ragnarok? No, no, it's Titan Quest. Ragnarok. Ragnarok. So Wait, I thought that was a Marvel thing. <sighs> Wait, is that is that related to Norse mythology? Norse mythology, yes, what? it is. What? And you Titan was, Quest, for those was... who barely remember this kind of Diablo 2 clone uh, was a mythological Diablo set in ancient Greece with mythological creatures. And it was a predecessor to Grim Dawn and, and a lot of the things that we've seen in more recent kind of action RPGs. Um, the game came out 11 years ago. And they released ex- an expansion. A new expansion. Nobody knew it was coming. It just kind of showed up last week. Is that developers still making new games? So Iron Lore Studios doesn't exist anymore. So explain. THQ Nordic, which was... Didn't they get dissolved? THQ got dissolved, and Nordic was one of the studios, right? Um, the, the, The licensing rights to the name and some of their intellectual property was purchased. Okay. So about a year and a half ago, um, this studio... The new, the new THQ put out Titan Quest Anniversary. That was the 10-year anniversary. Mm. And they updated it for modern PCs, and they gave you some new features, and they they put it out there. So this is an expansion for that. And, again, no hype. They just kind of showed up and said, hey, you guys like Titan Quest? You're still playing it? Here's a Norse-centric expansion that's longer than any other single chapter in the game. Nice. And it's like 14 bucks. Wow. A steal. Well, in, in the basic Titan Quest, which you could get hundreds of hours of gameplay out of, um, I think retails for 20 So you're looking at less than the cost of Battlefront 2. What's that? I don't know, some small game from an independent oh, publisher. Okay. Um, you could get the new Titan Quest expansion and the base game, and you've got hundreds of hours of gameplay there. So if you're a fan of action RPGs and you like the Diablo 2 style or Grim Dawn, which is the newer one, um, this is well worth checking out. Interesting. Okay. Uh, last in our tangent section, which we're running late because of the... Uh the Batman thing. The, uh, anyhow, uh, Splatoon 2, recently today, or Had yesterday. A big, big update. Big updates coming for uh, this coming week and in December. They're adding four new maps um, into rotation. They're not, you know, the whole Splatoon rotation thing. Two new ones, two from the original Splatoon, one of my favorites from the original Splatoon. Um, they're adding new music to the in game, which is a big deal because... 
when Splatoon 1 came out for the Wii, it had two tracks when you were battling. <laughs> and they got really repetitive. And Splatoon 2 has had that issue for a while. So they're going to be adding new music uh, into the game, which makes a huge difference. It doesn't feel so repetitive that way. They're adding um, tons of new gear. They're adding the ability to switch gear without having to exit the game, go to the lobby, go back in. Well, there you go. Mind-blowing feature. They're adding um, a new map to the PvE mode, um, mm-hmm. uh, Salmon Run. And they're adding... There was one more big thing. Um, I can't remember what it was, but lots of new content to Splatoon. Free content. All free, um, which is great. This is the, the same model they did with Splatoon 1. This is a lot at once, not just a new map. So, do you think Splatoon is is Nintendo's potential esport game? It is. It definitely is. I think they've tried to enter the esport. I know that Arms is going to be featured at Evo next year. Yeah, or it was at least right uh, entered to do. Yeah, so. no, damn. I like Arms. I know it's, you do. It's it's different than any other fighting game, but Splatoon kind of appeals to that actual core esport game. You know, mm-hmm. you have the teams, and uh, it's got really solid gameplay. It's not sort of gimmicky as yeah, and anybody can f- play it it's kind yeah. of from what i understand fun it is fun especially if you have a pro controller i don't yeah that which might be... might be why i don't find it quite as fun it, it's it's definitely fun um yeah that's all i've got to say that but... okay well we should move on to our main topic we've got a lot to talk well and i think we'll probably hit that pretty quickly yeah we'll move... be fine main topic So this week's main topic is cult classics. Cult classics. Yeah. What's that have to do with Pepsi Man? Huh? What's that have to do with Pepsi Man? Are you even aware of Pepsi Man? Well, apparently I am not in that cult. I I was going to say, if you knew anything about Pepsi Man, it was most likely because of me. No, Um, I knew about Pepsi Man, but it doesn't play for us both to be like super geeked about it. No, yeah, I, I get it. It's the, oh, okay. So we should coordinate more on how we do this more often. Yeah. Um, wow, that's a really long intro song. We can just let it play in the background. I don't care. I, yeah. So anyhow, so what, what's a cult classic in your definition? Basically, it can, it can mean several things. But basically, it means basically a game that wasn't uh, received well during initial release. You know, it didn't review well. It got really quiet which, in here. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Um... <laughs> It also means like a game that got released years ago, got good reviews, three people played it, and only 20 years later is somebody like, oh my gosh. That's a really good game. You've got to play this game. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've seen we've seen those games, especially if you're really interested in the games, you kind of go down these rabbit holes of mm-hmm. reading about games, reading about developers. You get, you get familiarized with studios within publishers and you get all this well and you often discover these hidden gems right by looking at games that are big hits and then reading about their development and going hey this is a gameplay that i actually originated when i was working at this studio and i made butt kickers 13 that sold like five copies solid game or kick puncher best one in the in the series yeah um yeah you also see a lot of games that are influenced over sort of those old style games like i mean 
Shovel Knight's an example of it, but none of the games really in Shovel Knight were cult classics. They're all pretty mainstream. You had your DuckTales. Oh, yeah, definitely. But there are other games we've seen, and I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head, but, um, you know, that were based... uh, Any any shmup or shoot-em-up, right? Um, They're not a very, very popular genre anymore, but... No, but there's some... Well, or the beat-em-ups. The beat-em-ups, yeah. I mean, the Streets of Rage and, you know, even Altered Beast or those. Uh, that's a... Game genres come and go. We've talked about this a lot. Right. And people's tastes change over time. But you can take elements of those games and introduce them into a more mainstream type of game, and you're like, oh, that kind of reminds me of this. Like, um, do you remember Outland? Yes. Uh, it was a 2D platformer. Yep. With bullet hell with an... Ikruga switching <laughs> mechanic. Now, if if what I just said was complete gibberish to you, that's because you're probably not familiar with a cup. You know, Ikruga. You know, if you know the game, you know exactly what I'm talking about with the the switching mechanic. But, um, you know, basically, what I wanted to talk about this episode was I wanted to go into some of what m- were my favorites. I wanted to talk about what makes these games a cult classic? You know, do we even have the ability to create cult classics in today's uh, environment? Um, And the other thing we wanted to talk about was, you know, game reviews. Sometimes these games don't review well, and that's because they're very, they're, they're speaking to a very specific audience and the reviewers, you know, are taking it from a more mainstream approach. And I think that's, I mean, speaking as a former professional game reviewer, mm-hmm. let me just flash these creds here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's absolutely something I approached a lot of the games I reviewed with, which is, would this appeal to me is not the question I was answering. The question I was answering in my writing is, who does this appeal to? And is it somebody who's going to be representative of, you know, most people? Um and there's some of these games on both of our lists, and and of course I can see them. You guys can't see them yet. Uh, where I would say that I had a blast playing them, but I didn't necessarily review them as you know like an A plus or a four star game. Right. Um, and sometimes, you know, you you can give a game a lot of credit for being innovative and fun, and still recognize that there's only like 15 people in Columbus who are going to play this game and enjoy it. And this, again, I think it goes to when you start developing your very specific tastes of what kind of games you like, right? Everybody's played a Mario, but Mm -hmm. we've talked about Donkey Kong Country on the show before, and that's a more specific... It's a very, you know, not everybody that likes Donkey Kong likes Mario. Less people like Donkey Kong. That's true. Um. Because Mario is sort of like make everybody happy, very easy and approachable. And Donkey Kong Country said, okay, we like your platformer. What if we add a little more difficulty? Um, and some timing elements. You know, and... Donkey Kong isn't like Mario. He's got some weight behind him. You know, again, taking inspiration. Not that Donkey Kong Country is a cult classic. It's pretty mainstream. Um, but there is a game, Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. I love that game. No, you don't. There's no way you love that game. It has everything that Sean hates in one game. I actually had both games. Both versions? Yes. I'm not talking about Donkey Konga, which was the rhythm bongo game. 
Donkey Kong Jungle Beat was Use released. Use the bongos to control Donkey Kong it, Country it was, effectively. It was released no, for I didn't the GameCube. Like it. I did not like it. It was a platformer in which you used bongos to control Donkey Kong. Yeah. Um, It'd be like using DDR to play Doom. That sounds really fun. Um, <laughs> so, again, this is a very specific game that, you know, me and a, a friend of mine played a ton of because it's it, it's uh, very replayable because you're going for how many bananas you can get in the level. That's basically yep. how you're scoring. You can get you can play it and just try to get to the end, but the difficulty is combos and all this built-in mechanics into the game that kind of have a deeper deeper level. Well, and they only made it because they needed another game to justify, <laughs> to justify the, bongos. the bongos. And it was it was surprisingly good. I will not. I will. I will defend it to the day because some people are like Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. That was not a good game, Jared. It was a good game. <laughs> um, it's just not for you. When we've talked about that yeah. with audiences before. Um, yeah, if you're a Madden fan, well, not, not probably your game. That kind of goes into cult classics, right? Right. If you're a Madden fan, you've got a particular genre. You like sports games. But I can tell you there's probably a, a very def- – like NHL 93. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that game? I do. That's the best hockey game ever made. <laughs> um, Blades of Steel. Blades of Steel is also good. And that's debatable. We're just No, but that's more of an arcade game than NHL was. Exactly. But – you know, there there are rabbit holes to go down to funnel into very specific like yeah games. Um, there's also systems that are no longer around that you know Turbo Graphics Neo Geo has a mm-hmm. a surprising bountiful release Metal in the Sludge. Switch. All the Metal Slug games. If you like Contra and you've never played Metal Slug, or Samurai Showdown, you would be. Or, I mean, there's I can't. I mean, Super Baseball 2020 is one of yeah. my favorite sports games. They're all Neo Geo games, and they were so niche. You either played them in an arcade, or you had $7,000. And you lived in the West Coast and knew somebody that had one. Yeah. <laughs> um, same thing with the Turbo Graphics. There were, there were games released for these systems that not a lot of people played. Um, also, my list was Blast Core. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this game? Uh, I remember seeing it. I never played it. It was an N64 game made by Rare. That's another reason I never played it. Yeah. Um, Not the Rare part. I like Rare. I skipped the N64 as a platform. because. yeah, that's acceptable. I sold my N64 at the time, but um, it it is the weirdest concept for a game ever. Not ever, but one of them. Basically, there is a nuclear missile carrier on wheels, like a big rig, and it's got an AI that controls where it goes. The AI for it stopped working, so now it's going in a straight line. So what you you're called in as part of the blast core, and you use um, a range of bulldozers, dump trucks, giant mechs that can ground pound from the sky, planes, motorcycles with missiles. Your your main objective is to clear a path for this carrier. Okay, so you're going around and. Destroying buildings and moving platforms for the carrier just to go. I'm having trouble visualizing. I mean, other than the general exactly. chaos, it's very it's very hard to to imagine. But it's one of those games that nobody else has ever even attempted something like. It's like it's like an escort mission that's fun. Um, and those words don't. Come I know on. exactly, exactly. <laughs> that does not compute. Um, do you want to mention one of yours? Sure. Uh, well, we talked a little bit about games that have found a new life beyond death. 
And and this is the game that will, and, and there's a pun in this, this is the game that will not die. And that is Skyrim? Vampire the Masquerade oh. Bloodlines. Their developer is long gone. It was developed on a faulty version, early version of the Source engine that was used for Half-Life. People are still, to this day, adding new content to this game. And this came out of when originally? Oh, it would have been before Half-Life 2. In Okay, well, like in the 90s? So or, it was 90s, oh, early okay. 90s. Well, no, late 90s. Source. Yeah, Source. So 99? Source was Half-Life 2, so maybe early 2000s? No, it was 2000s. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm so 10 old. Years these, plus. It, it was over 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, but the point is that, you know, this is a game that people still buy today in, in huge quantities on Steam. And they play it. And it's... You know, the setting is based on a kind of niche vampire craze that was going on in the 90s and 2000s with the Vampire the Masquerade role-playing game system. And the guys who create Some of the guys who created the original Fallout and some of the guys who, you know, uh, did all these great role-playing games at a company called Troika created this game based on a license. And it was a commercial flop because they were running on a beta version of the Source engine. <laughs> it was the same time that Sor- or that Half-Life 2 got delayed because of the theft of the source code, for those who were around back then. Yeah. Which meant that they never got a final version. Activision, who was the publisher, said, we don't care whether or not Half-Life 2 is coming out because that's Valve. You have to release and basically push them to release and was part of the reason that the studio collapsed because they had to put out this half finished game and which they couldn't control. They have an engine they didn't write. Right. Yeah. And and it has this, just had this impact in PC gaming uh, for years. And I mean, every member of my family owns a copy of it and I didn't buy it for them. Hmm. Um, it's it's just one of those games. If you like role-playing games, and it's an action RPG, um, so it's not like rolling dice and all of that, but storyline is variable. There's five different branching clans you can choose with completely different stories, and people are still patching and expanding it today. Wow. That's insane. Um, I tried to choose several different genres in my list. Um, we've mentioned platformers. Um, Uniracers, do you remember this game? I don't. It was a Super Nintendo game. Okay. And actually, this has got a, a great history, horrible history. <laughs> Uniracers was a game where you controlled a unicycle. This is a Nintendo game. Nintendo developed and published. It was a racing game. Okay. You were a unicycle, and it was on a it was on a 2D plane. Mm-hmm. So you were looking at it's it like from you... the side view. Oh. Yeah, not I, I was thinking like Excite Bike at first, but it, no, yeah, that's two and a half. It's really weird to explain. So you, you're you and so you're just racing, and you can do flips. You're like this sentient. I've uniracer. seen this game. I yeah. know this game. Okay, yeah. you're yeah. the sentient universes that are animated. What's funny is at the same time they got into a lawsuit with what was going to become Pixar due to the animation style of the the seat. Um. And that was why you've never seen Uniracer since. Huh. Um, it's it's a fun game. I won't say it's one of the best games, but it's it's definitely unique. Okay. Um, another game I chose on here, and if you've played it, you know what it's about. Elite Beat Agents. Oh, yeah. Great rhythm game. 
it is great the, rhythm game. It is one of the best rhythm games ever released. Um, for the DS, it's just absurd. There's a lot of humor in it. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I recommend that. If you have a 3DS and you've never heard of this, pick it up. If you can find it, it's worth it. So uh, let me get one of mine in here. Yeah. And this is a console game. There's not a lot of console games Con- on my list. Oh, what's what do you got in here? Um, Mutant League Football by Electronic yeah. Arts. Yeah. So it was a Madden knockoff. Where basically you played monsters and aliens playing football on bizarre places and you could kill the other team in order to win. Uh, there was dirty tricks. You could bribe the ref. It's very similar to what modern players probably would identify with Blood Bowl. Right. Uh, and it was based kind of on that concept, except it was it was not a turn-based strategy game like Blood Bowl is. It was real time. So you were playing Madden with like a skeleton team and a mutant team or a werewolf team and you'd have a spiked ball and you could wire the ball to explode after three plays and <laughs> how does that work it, it's awesome and, and you could have a rubber field or there you'd be playing in space with no sidelines oh wow so you could run off when you go out of bounds you'd fall off into space and the and the player would be out for the rest of the game <laughs> so you literally could get to the point in this game where you're playing football but you couldn't field enough people to have an offensive or defensive line. Wow. And therefore the other team would win by default. Interesting. So not only were you trying to score points, you were also trying to injure or destroy the other team. And what system was this for? This is for Genesis. Okay. And they did two games in the series. There was Mutant League Football and Mutant League Hockey. Okay, there's a hockey now, version. Now, for fans of that who who know that game, Mutant Football League just came out. It was a kickstart. And basically, they took a modern Madden-style approach to the game with modern Madden-style graphics with aliens and zombies and all that. And it just came out. And it's on PC, and it's coming to the consoles in the next month or two. Okay. So if you're interested in that, you have fond memories of Mutant League Football, Mutant Football League, which they couldn't get the rights to do this. And that goes back into our general discussion, right? That's not a game for everybody, but you have people that really love this old oh, yeah. old game speak fondly of it. You have people that are developers now that have played it and they're trying to kind of regenerate that. Um, one game I mentioned on here, and it was featured in the last four score seven pongs was wind jammers, wind jammers. Um, yeah. This was a Neo Geo game and it, it got lost to time due to some licensing issues where Mm -hmm. Data East, the developer kind of collapsed. The rights were kind of bounced around for a while. Yeah, but now it's got a new version on the PS4. It's basically just a re-release with some quality of life features. Yeah. Yeah, But I mean, same graphics. Um, Didn't they have new, um, new field layouts? No. Well, I thought they did. (laughs) No. Uh, Surprisingly, I mean, a lot of people tried to recapture the magic of that game with, Mm -hmm. Uh, flying disc jam or other games and they didn't sell successfully because they just weren't able to recapture that solid gameplay of the original. Um, the last thing I'll mention, check out the list in the show notes, but I want to mention Tetris attack. I speak <laughs> very highly of Tetris attack. First off, it's not a Tetris game. It's actually a, a puzzle game in Japan called panel to pawn because we don't know what the heck that means here in the States, they're like, Oh, well, Hey, Tetris company. Can we borrow your name for this game that has nothing to do with Tetris? And for some reason they said, yes, no, there's a good reason they said that. Yes. Well, it's called Tetris sells. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it is a very, it's, it's my second favorite, um, puzzle game 
mm-hmm. to Tetris. It's it's very fun multiplayer. Um, it's had a, re- a release as Planet Puzzle League on the DS. Yep. That's the last time we've seen it. This is actually a Nintendo-owned entity. Um, but it's one of those things where <laughs> I want to play it on, on a modern console. It's hard to find um, on those other consoles. It's If you like puzzle games, this is definitely up there. So it's just one of those things where I, I, it's hard to explain. But if you if you like Tetris, if you're like, oh, man, I love Tetris. You know, this is another rabbit hole to go down. Yep. So I've got a controversial really entry on my list. You, controversial. Which is going to drive a point home that I want to make about cult classics. <laughs> Sometimes a cult classic doesn't stay a cult classic. It becomes mainstream. And this is going to sound bizarre the way I present this. Well, and that, yeah, I'll let you go, but it's sort of like, uh, I liked them before, you know, I listened to them before you did. Or in some cases, you have AAA games that when they launch just aren't there, right? And Diablo 3 is a good example of that. It's not on my list, but the version of Diablo 3 that came out is completely different than the version of Diablo 3 we play today. The one I did put on my list, and the one I think we might get some pushback for, is Destiny. Destiny? Yeah, Destiny. Because when Destiny came out, there were expectations for what it would be. And there was a lot of you know, negative um, critical feedback and player feedback, to be frank. Uh, where they said, you know, this is just kind of boring. There's nothing to do. I don't really like the gameplay loop and you know, la, 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 la. But there was a core group of players that stuck with the game. And as Activision, Bungie, went and started to really take this thing and turn it into what we know today, those players, that cult, stayed there and has progressed with the game all the way into its sequel, which is Finally, kind of what we were told the original game would be. Right. Um, so when we say cult classics, it doesn't necessarily mean that the game nece- is is today what it was when it started. Right. And there are plenty of games that have kind of been blown up. I mean, that were when we played them and we spoke highly of them, Super Metroid or those things where mm-hmm. not a lot of people played those games when they were originally released. Right. And you were like, oh no, Super Metroid, it's amazing. And they're like, huh? Well, what? Another recent example is No Man's Sky. Yeah. I mean, completely different gameplay at this point. But for those of us who liked it when it came out, we were kind of a minority. Everybody loved bashing No Man's Sky last year for good reason, right? There was this hype expectation that I don't think any game could have met. Right. They're much closer today than they were then. Um, another one that's kind of a hidden gem, and this happens a lot with Japanese imports, um, and I should put another one on here too, uh, Persona 3. So everybody was hyped about Persona 5 this year. It, it got a lot of buzz. It sold really well. People talked a lot about it because it was visually beautiful. But the the game that kind of busted Persona into the, the West was Persona 3, and it was controversial because I remember reviewing it for the dispatch at the time. And I had to be very careful when I picked out key art. Mm. Because in order to have the main character trigger their persona, they put a gun to their head and pull the trigger. And I'm like, that is the coolest thing that I have to be careful talking about that I think I've ever had to do. 
Right. Because, you know, the Mothers of America and, you know, all of those people who think video games are evil and promote violence. Mm-hmm. I've got this game where these Japanese role-playing game where these characters put a gun to their head and pull the trigger and the animation shows them reeling from a gunshot to the head. And then this persona pops out. So you know, that's another example. One, another one I would think of, and it's a Japanese import is the Disgaea series. Mm. So very similar to like a final fantasy tactics. Disgaea has like five games and they're all, you know, these turn-based strategy, insane games with a hilarious storylines that were brought over from Japan. And they're comedy games, but most people don't know about them. So if you're a tactical game player on the console, you probably played Final Fantasy Tactics. You may have played Ogre Battle. And even before that, you may have played Shining, Shining Force, Force. Which is yeah, another kind of cult yeah. classic. Yeah. Um, that gameplay is very common in Japan. wasn't real common in America. And so it became a cult classic over time. Right. So... What we're trying to get across here is just because the game's indie, I wanted to make that point clear. We, we I play a lot of indie games. Not all of them are cult. Just because they're indie doesn't mean they're cult. They're just yeah. a very niche, audi- niche audience. Um, they're not necessarily a cult flavor. Um, I think you kind of answered the question on this one, but does the AAA indie market allow for cult games today? I think so. Yeah, I just don't think we see them as much. I think, you know, video well, games are so mainstream now. Not only that, they're expensive and to it's, produce. It's hard for somebody to come in with a weird... You have, um, what is it, Grasshopper Manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Those games are sort of, I would say, cultish, right? Um, yeah. Some well, weird developers. Goat Simulator. I I thought about Goat Simulator and adding it to the list to, to see if it was a cult game or if it was just more of a... Uh, creative a novelty. novelty. Yeah. Because there's a lot of novelty. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of a cult game. I think there's still people playing Goat Simulator. How do you play Goat Simulator? Well, it's an experience. You experience it. Um, the last thing I want to say is just because games have a following doesn't always mean they're good. <laughs> there are some games out there that I, to this day, don't understand why people are so interested in them. Like what? I, I can't think. I said it. And I so I knew I was going to put you on the spot for that yeah, one, I, too. Yeah, I knew it. Um, but that goes again... To personal I, taste. I don't get fishing games. Exactly. I don't get them. Um, and, and I think that, again, maybe a cultural thing for me. But, yeah, I mean, that's a good example. Where there's lots of people who love pro bass fishing. And there's a huge following for it in certain circles. Or the, the buck hunt. Right. The hunting games. Oh, yeah, yeah. I you have know, no interest in those. I'm like, I don't, I don't really understand. Yeah. But... They could be considered cult classics because there's this dedicated kind core of group, yeah, core group that just eat those games up every time they're released, right? And they also hang out in Cabela's and play it in the, you know, yeah. So, um, last thing I want to say on this is if you're interested in video games, go to Wikipedia sometime, kind of read the spiritual <laughs> successors. Go down some rabbit holes. Um, I mentioned a couple of developers in here. I know Sean did too, but um, you can get to some really weird places of, of games oh, you've never heard of. I got um, one more. What's that? Psychonauts. Psychonauts is a, is a cult classic. It is the Ten- definition of a cult classic. It absolutely is. It was not a huge... Uh, for those who don't know, it's a Tim Schafer game. Came out in uh, PC and console, PS2 era. Um, 
it was one of those games where it didn't sell well, and you didn't really hear about it until about a couple years later, nope. where everybody was like, "Have you played Psychonauts?" Um, and now they've kickstarted a sequel. It's 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 more mainstream than it used to be. It's still hey, they put out a version in VR. Oh no, that's another episode. <laughs> well, that's our main topic. Um, this week we wanna we have a couple dumb ea things yes this this week's one dumb things is sponsored by ea and it was recommended by one of our listeners yes it was so sean thank you for this and i'm not talking to myself no we had sean added one and i added another (laughs) because i we need to pound on this but well and again i said we weren't going to talk because i knew we were going to talk about battlefront 2 uh yeah so as part of the backlash in the gaming community towards Electronic Arts' aggressive microtransactions associated with the release of Battlefront 2, it appears they've disabled refunds. Yeah. So, um, for those that don't know, Battlefront 2 is the sequel to Battlefront 1. There's, It's been, I wouldn't say highly anticipated. I would say... Well, I think for most gamers who like Action Star Wars? anticipated might be a better word. Okay. Um, because the first one was kind of not a lot of content, right? No, and that was the big failing. Right. Everybody was hated. And then they were like, oh, the full game is another $60. It's been a common trend with EA. Because you want to talk about a cult classic, the original Battlefront right. for the PS2 era right? and the, the Xbox era was... That's a game that a lot of people like that I do not understand. All the (laughs) Battlefront games. Hey, go into a game where there's a thousand people and get shot in two seconds. Fun! No. If you're the guy shooting, then you wouldn't think that. Yeah, it's good, Jared. Um, (laughs) So, EA, in response to this backlash over microtransactions, a lot of people are like, a lot of people that have pre-ordered the game, which paid $100. again, Again, that's their decision of what they want to do with their money. Finally got the sense of, hey, maybe I shouldn't spend $100 on this game. Um, tried to get refunds on Origin, Origins, which is EA's uh, source, Steam, platform yeah, for distribution. EA's digital. And uh, they said, no, <laughs> you're not getting your money back before this game comes out. Yeah. We're not going to. And it was these were people canceling their pre-orders. Right. Right. Yeah. No, we're not. We're not going to do that. And then they said, okay, fine. We we hear you, and there's a lot of public reaction. I mean, people on mainstream news are talking about this. Disney's Bob Iger is very worried about it damaging the opening of The Last Jedi because um, you gamers are loud. We're, we're, we're reconsidering. And this happened, and we talked a little bit about this in the last episode. This happened as a result of the early access that people who pre-ordered got and they said look this this loot box thing yeah we kind of get it and it's not unusual but you're being really greedy because we've just spent three days playing without sleeping or eating or going to the bathroom and we've unlocked two characters well and that goes into my dumb thing yes even before the microtransactions you know they've said oh well those you can unlock everything you know without paying anything well, well and we talked a little bit about that with Marvel Heroes. Right. And people looked into it, and it requires literally days of your life before you get Luke and Darth Vader and all these other characters. So, and we talked about 
our opinions about Luke boxes before we said, mm-hmm. Hey, if it's cosmetic, great. But these are characters, you know, these are, they're not cosmetic. It's, Hey, you get to play as this is gameplay. Vader. This is gameplay that they're locking. Yeah. And, and I, it isn't the Luke Skywalker Bespin skin. Right. It's Luke Skywalker. Right. <laughs> and I'm all about having a, a core game. And then, you know, for the people that really want to put in the extra hours, Beat it in hard mode. Beat it in great. extra hard. Have some extra stuff, which is great. But that Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker in a Star Wars game is not a fifteen hours. And it's unlockable. not something. Well, here it's not just that you have to spend fifteen hours. It's that you're also at the mercy of a random number generator. Yeah, it's 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 the whole loot box slot machine thing we went into. You're yeah. not even guaranteed to get them. And I've fallen victim for that in a few games that I've played where I'm like, I will buy loot boxes because I want a cosmetic thing. And because it's the slot machine thing, and sometimes they throw in an extra injustice. I was playing injustice too this week and I was going through with the mother boxes, unlocking things. And it's the same thing. I didn't buy them. I got them. Right. And again, that's all cosmetic with some variants of just their statistics, whatever. But yeah. Um, but back on the EA front, this is really where you need to separate the publisher from the developers. Uh, Dice is a great developer. Criterion's a great developer. I forget who else is involved in this release. The publisher's driving all of this. They right. want to monetize this. They don't really have a respect for the fan base. And that whole comment you mentioned, which I didn't hear about, is like, no, you just don't understand. You, you see yeah. this as a profit machine, which is fine, but... You know, people hold Star Wars on a pedestal. Right. Um, and they may not hold the games there because the games have been a lot kind of all over the map in the past few years. Yeah. Um, but this is what everybody feared about Battlefront 2 coming to fruition. And you know what? I'd be great if nobody bought it. There's there's nothing. It's Star Wars FPS. Yay. There's nothing in well, that game that appeals to me. And neither you nor I purchased it. But I've been following the news around it, and like the single-player content was the reason I would have considered right. buying it. There's actually a campaign. But there time. isn't, and that's the other thing. <laughs> so you're looking at five hours of gameplay, and they almost everybody universally says it's fun and it's interesting, but Watch like it on YouTube. Justice League, it's not coherent. They start telling a story, and then they're like... Oh, and this is just the Star Tours version of Battlefront, where we and take you to a new place. Look who's showing up. It's Darth Vader. Yeah. Cameo. Um, so, yeah, that's that's our one done EA things this week. Um, let us know what you think. Are you going to buy Battlefront? It's already reduced in price to $45, you know. that. But that's because they turned off microtransactions. So Which real money said, cost will be 2000 They said they're bringing back. Oh, I know. Ooh. Um. Lastly, I want to end this week's episode. This is we're recording this right before Thanksgiving. I wanted to get a little sappy and just say thank you to all of you that have listened these past 21 episodes. Um, thank you, Sean, for being a great host. You this actually is, this are is the your host. this is your show. This is my show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, this is know, my idea. Um, you know, sometimes. Uh, the holidays aren't the greatest time for some people and you know we just we're happy that you're listening to us and 
engaging with us and thank and, you. And if you have a situation where you're just not feeling in the right headspace and you can't snap yourself out of it by playing games and talking to friends, remember that we're always here for you. Yeah. Uh, we care. We and do. without you, no one would listen to us but each other. Yeah. It would just be Sean and I in a room saying... As it has been many times. Do you, do you remember that one game? Yeah, I remember that one game. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you, everybody. We will see you after the holiday. Um, we've got two more episodes left this season. We'll see what shape those take. Thank you. <laughs>